Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Tuesday the 3rd of May. Today, I'm joined by Apollonia Vlasova, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Apollonia. Hi, Peter. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Been a while, hasn't it? Been a while, but uh, here you are, back again in the hot seat. Happy to be uh, back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what story are you going to talk about from today's Watson's Daily? So the one that I picked up and I thought was quite an obvious choice is the new um, Apple antitrust suit with yeah. Brussels. Um, right. So essentially, Brussels is accusing Apple of limiting its rivals' access to N- NFC technology, which is a near-field communication technology mm-hmm. that is integral to creating mobile wallets and essentially the um, contactless payments technology. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Brussels authorities have um, accused Apple of essentially preventing third-party app developers from um, using from from creating their own uh, mm-hmm. payment systems and in that way preferencing Apple's own Apple Pay system. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also investigating it's a different lawsuit, but they are investigating Apple um, about um, its thirty percent fee on purchases and su- subscriptions made for app stores so we can see kind of walls closing in apple a bit perhaps not in practice but at least um from what it seems Mm. the question here for me is will things go different this time than they do usually because the eu hasn't really been able in the past to curbs big tech's power and especially apple's Mm. um power um i think a different factor here that we have to keep note of is that this is this case comes and after the um recent passing of the Digital Markets Act, which was passed in March. The act provides, just to remind people, the act provides tougher sanctions um, for essentially tougher available sanctions to be Mm -hmm. imposed on big tech companies. So that is why we've been hearing that um, the EU might charge Apple a fine of up to 10% of its annual turnover. Um, mm. And it could even go up to 20% if the infringement is an, a repeating one. Mm. Um, the act is designed to, um, it essentially applies to gatekeeper platforms, which are mm-hmm. big tech platforms of um, market capitalization of over 75 billion euros. Mm. So they are essentially targeted primarily at big tech. Mm. And what we, uh, what we now have to observe here is whether the Digital Market Act a market act will make a difference in curbing the power of uh, platforms and I mean companies such as Apple because among its provisions there are provisions of fair access to supplementary functionalities of smartphones mm-hmm. which yep. is things like NFC chip technology um, and also anything related to kind of payment systems identity providers so it can't uh, for example can't um, so Apple and companies like that can't require app developers to use only their own um, mm. their own kind of payment systems that sort of thing to be yeah. listed in app stores. So I that mean, is yeah, just in, yeah. Don't, don't you think, I mean, it sounds good from a competition point of view, right? I mean, <laughs> it sounds like this, this you know, it, this does sound like a reasonable thing to sort of try to open it up. But then, I don't know, what do you reckon on the security side, though? 
You know, do you think that um, it's a good thing? Because in a way, it sort of sounds to me like you do this, you know, this is great for competition, but mm-hmm. is it very good for data security, for instance? I think that is a question. I think that is a perspective that a lot of the big tech um, players bring up. I think mm. Google, when the Digital Market and Markets Act was first passed, um, both Google and Apple spoke very loudly about mm. security concerns and such. There is there is always a chance that they're kind of over-exaggerating that to, to mm. try and, um, well, make Digital Markets Act appear <laughs> mm. more, more dangerous than it is and to, to undermine the um, competition authorities sort of mm. uh, um, public um, stance, I guess. Mm. Um, at the same time, there might be, I, I have to say, I'm no, I'm no expert in digital security on the technical side of things. There obviously might be some pitfalls for, um, for digital, especially with, yeah, especially with smaller app creators that mm. might not mm. perhaps have the capacity to, into, um, yeah, to, to protect their users, um, specifically mm. financial, for example, data as mm. well as, for example, Apple does, because that, that's also Apple's stance in the lawsuit. It, it really emphasizes that point that it's trying to create, that it created this very secure payment system mm. um, compared to many potential others. Yeah. Um, however, I think that seeing this might be a bit far-reaching, but seeing that um, the DMA also provides for, um, provides for um, not just fines, but for potentially practical um, practical kind of out well practical rules being laid down for for companies and essentially mm-hmm. it might it, it, it lets the competition authorities lay down specific specific rules or kind of specific performance type of uh, type of rules um, mm-hmm. there might be a situation where Apple and such have to create their own secure systems or kind of a checking system for apps mm-hmm. where they would somehow make the payments and such still secure while not mm. necessarily going through the Apple, for example, payment system. Mm. I'm not sure exactly how that would work in practice mm. again, but mm. I think that that might be a possibility that, that they just have to make all of the apps that they provide on their um, platforms mm. secure to use. Mm. Mm. Um, but again, yeah, I know I, I see the point that you make with potential security issues, and I think that that is at the front of everyone's minds as well. Mm. Um, but also as, as, as we, dis- as we discussed in the call, considering that it's actually potentially practically not as, um, possible for the EU to enforce, <laughs> to enforce all of these provisions, mm. at least in practice. Um, I mean, what do you, what do you, that much what, to worry about. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, obviously the EU has tried, um, before to do this, you know, to try to, fight against the the rising tide of of uh big tech do you think they'll be successful this time that's that's certainly a big question um hmm. i think that the digital market attack will certainly certainly help it i think that the um concentration and kind of codification of everything that the eu has been doing with big tech is a good basis for action um and seeing that legal commentators as well have been saying that they're essentially um, not as easy of a way for big tech companies to derail or undermine this um, this legislation as they have done in the past with the EU's, mm. uh, with the EU's lawsuits. Um, there might be more focus. There might be a bit of a shift towards compliance um, mm. 
Mm. rather than finding loopholes necessarily around legislation. Mm. Um, so they're, they're, the, the, the landscape might shift a bit, but mm. I do think that there are still ways to go around it. I think that Apple will still find ways to at least stretch out the process mm. to the extent where it will firstly drain the resources mm. of competition authorities. Mm. And secondly, just like how, you know, how they, do, how they did with the Dutch legislation, for example, where they are fined something every week until mm. they complied and they stretched it out for quite a bit of time. Mm, um, mm. So something like that might be, might be possible. But I think that balance between uh, potentially reputational kind of concerns in terms of the security of its services compared to the action of um, competition authorities will essentially potentially put it in its place mm. um, in the near future, because it also, it also wouldn't want to provide unsecure kind of services even through third-party apps mm. just because of reputational concerns i think so um mm. yeah what do you think about this i think you had some thoughts um, yeah i mean about I, the possibility of this but more skeptical yeah, <laughs> but, yeah i mean i think that um i mean it's good you know that, that the eu is is basically trying it on um i am i'm supportive of i mean i am a big fan of apple right i i do like mm -hmm. it and i you know, I like their stuff. I like, you know, uh, and a lot of the big tech, uh, you know, uh, companies make great stuff and have brilliant software and all that. But, you know, I think it's great that the EU is getting involved and trying to at least do something um, to, to level the playing field. Because mm -hmm. the way things are at the moment, it's pretty difficult, if not impossible, for any kind of mm -hmm. startup to really um you, you know compete at all you know in, in against against these giants um and you can't blame them for trying to fend off competition because mm -hmm. that's what they do right i mean they're not charities but on the other side you want to have regulators who actually have teeth and it seems to me that i mean i you know i don't have a list of victories and defeats and things in front of me from the you know for the eu competition commission but my perception is that they just lose all the time you know whenever it whenever it's something that really matters and that's really big they always fall short i mean i think it was a year or two ago now where uh well maybe yeah no two two years two, two years ago now where um um apple was slapped with a 16 billion dollar mm -hmm. fine uh, or 16 billion euros doesn't matter at the moment um but you know at the fine it, and and um and you know that was that was a great victory but then apple managed to get that decision overturned and they didn't have to pay it and they're back to the beginning again and so yeah. you know i am a um i support um uh, margaret vestiger uh, as you know her her work and trying to to take these companies to account but the fact of the matter is, they just haven't been that good at it. And I really think we, you know, a, a regulator that does not have power ceases to have value. And I think that if they lose, it seems to me there's a lot of news flow about lawsuits. I mean, I'm sure this has been happening a lot before anyway, but just seems to me at the moment we are seeing a lot more lawsuits being um uh, taken against some of these these uh, big tech companies and i hope i dearly hope that at least one of them actually <laughs> results in a, yeah. a fine no. that will actually be paid 
and they yeah. will use that as a precedence. I but, think there is. I think that's a very, that's a good point that there is. There may be a lot of traction to um, the actions themselves, but then there is a severe lack of enforcement, and there is a severe issue, I guess, with the with the possible the practical possibility of enforcement. Um, mm. And I think that why this has been gaining this much publicity is because it's just um, symbolic, I guess, or or reflective of the wider EU legal landscape because mm. this consistent undermining of the very kind of order <laughs> that mm. the EU law is based on is I think a wider issue potentially than mm. um, than what it just represents on the on the specific facts because yeah, yeah because um, obviously legal order is intimately tied to the economic order and mm. if European companies, European small startups are unable to unable to create their own kind of economic ecosystem. Mm. Um, I think that there is it's just illustrative of um, more general kind of European economic issues and reliance on out on essentially outsourcing their mm. um, innovation elsewhere, specifically mm. digital innovation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we'll 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 just have to see, won't we? Because this is a thing; it's it's bound to rumble on, um, and yeah, let's let's see whether whether the regulators can actually do anything. I would say, if they don't, they need to get rid of um, Margaret Vestiga and they need to start again. I think they need to take the whole thing down and start again. So, to my mind, I know this sounds a bit extreme, but if they lose again, um, and you know, all these lawsuits just fall by the wayside they need to take a good hard look at themselves and think, why is this happening? And try and mm -hmm. build something that is more powerful. Um, so, yes. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Okay. So, right. um, so what was, yeah, what was yours today? Also right. quite, quite a battle there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, much, much more low tech. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In fact, no tech. In fact, uh, on on uh, my my um, you know my subject today. So my subject really uh, is inspired today by the news from um, the Daily Telegraph and the Times, um, talking about supermarket price wars um, and the effect on farmers. So, for mm -hmm. instance, in in the Daily Telegraph one, it talks about rising feed prices, um, which is affecting egg farmers. Um, and then produce, and then the the Times article talks about rising energy prices, and I presumed as well it will be fertilizer prices as well um, on farmers um, and producers of um, fruit and veg, essentially, uh, because some of them they rely on. So it says it says um, the producers of cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers, and aubergines. Um, in particular, okay. rely on greenhouses which need to be heated, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and of course, energy prices have gone through the roof. So, I, you know, in today's kind of reel, um, I asked the question: Will supermarket price wars end? Now, I, you know, given what it says in those articles, it just seems to me that the normal sort of order of supermarkets dictating terms to farmers who kind of have to take it or they suddenly see a whole load of volume just disappear in front of their eyes um i think this this is we are at the end of that now 
I think that um, that farmers. The thing is, is that the the farmers will go out of will go out of business, and if they go out of business, who else who else are the supermarkets going to buy from? You know, it's not as if you can say, oh well, I'll just switch it to Europe because there's the whole kind of red tape stuff and this the um, supply chain stuff, and then of course when you're uh, when you're importing at the moment. Um, you, you might be faced with with um, uh, export problems, like we saw recently with mm-hmm. um, Indonesia and palm oil, for instance. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just seems to me that it's very. It, you can't easily. You can't, as in days of yore, you cannot just switch to a new yeah. supplier from a different country like you could do before. So, I really feel. That the that the supermarket price war, which is, you know, we've heard recently about uh, Morrison's and Tesco's, um, ASDA. We've even heard, you know, M and S talking about trying to keep their prices low. There's only so much they can do, and I think that they are going to have to pay out more, um, or maybe the um, farmers have to get some kind of handout or help with energy mm-hmm. bills or something. Because this state of affairs cannot continue, I don't think. Um, and, you know, we definitely need to have a reason, at least a reasonable amount of self-sufficiency on things like this, I think. But yeah. I don't know. What, what do you reckon? Um, well, I guess I have more a couple of questions for you about this. Oh, right, um, yeah. so, so this is the start of the interview. Um Firstly, do you think that there might be, as there is in the energy sector, some form of consolidation between farming entities, um, essentially between the farm, some forms of consolidation in the farming sector that will create potentially a more unified, um, a more unified again sector? Um, yeah. And then another question is, and this might be a bit counterintuitive, at least your response as mm-hmm. we discussed was whether this will. Um, sign a sort of demise or a um or a an area i guess of losses for the supermarkets that have been centering their strategy and their marketing strategy and their business strategy around kind of the race to the bottom um mm. or not okay. so yeah those are those are kind of but i honestly just like to to preamble that a bit um potentially the war in crisis might just go to a higher level so essentially before if someone was saying say oh no an hours is like two pounds 50 cents now it could mm. just be like well at hours as at the other supermarket is three pounds 50 cents mm. you know what i mean mm. um mm. it could just yes. go up a level but um in terms of the marketing strategy i think it's just so ingrained in the supermarket sector that that mm. might be a bit slow on the marketing innovation side yeah. um yeah but anyway so those are the questions that yeah i'm not having okay well, on the, you know, agricultural consolidation theme, um, it certainly would make more sense if you had, um, you know, farmers. The, the, you know, it is a very fragmented industry, mm-hmm. and I think yes, if you had more of a like farmers getting together, that would help because it would help in terms of, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, putting costs down. Yeah, bargaining power. Uh, yes, and secondly, yes, it would help with bargaining power. So that's 
it could happen. Yeah, I think that could happen. Incidentally, one thing I think could happen as well is that they could farmers could just give up, you know, mm-hmm. and sell the land. I mean, having said that, I think that there'll be a lot of farmers who don't actually own the land, I, I would say. But um, they, you know, they work the land and pay pay a rent to the landlord. But I mean, ultimately, I think that um, agricultural land could potentially be sold um, and turned into warehouses. You know, I think, that, you know, because I think that there are, I know that's that we're, we're take, uh, taking this into a different direction here, but um, I think that, it's always the warehouses, isn't it? It's yeah, all, all conversations <laughs> lead to warehouses, right? I mean, um, I think, you know, there's such huge demand and there will be continue to be huge demand that I think that, you know, if you've got a big patch of land, um, you need, you can, you know, and, and your farmer just can't afford to farm it. What are you going to do? I mean, you're probably not going to build, you might not build houses on it because you might not be able to. And also, you have all sorts of legal things to, you know, hoops to jump I was through. I was going to say, property lawyers should listen to this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, you know, and they should, they could do that. Um, or, but then I would have thought, and I don't know because I'm not a lawyer, but I would have thought that building a, a load of warehouses on a patch of land is easier to do from a regulatory point of view and will be faster if they um, put, you know, um, uh, warehouses on the land. So that's one idea. Um, so I so in terms of the answer to your question is that consolidation, yes, it makes sense. I don't know if it's going to happen because mm. I would imagine it's quite difficult for these individual farmers to meet each other. You know, it's not like yeah. there's there's... I don't know. I think that I mean the 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 um the farmers union would probably have to pay some sort of role in that. Well, I was thinking um, almost alongside American some 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 American models, uh, in terms of farming conglomerates and agricultural kind of conglomerates in terms of just those that have a bit more economic power now, mm, buying out mm. land potentially buying and buying out um IP because apparently IP law and farming is now a booming <laughs> a booming sector. So. Oh, yeah potentially buying out some IP rights to technology and well farming strategies and potentially buying out some um, know-how. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities there. Um, and then this, the answer to your second question, which is about the demise um, mm. and it, was it the losses, um, the, the demise of the price, the, the current price war. Um so I think that um, the supermarkets have been, it's interesting how we've seen um, supermarkets like Tesco and Sainsbury's in particular price matching with Aldi. Mm-hmm. I actually think what is going to happen is that, um, that that's kind of a distraction. I what I really think is going to happen is I think more people I think that Aldi and Lidl are going to continue to build their market share because they are perceived to be the place mm-hmm. to go if you want to cut your shopping bill. And I think that the fact that Tesco and Sainsbury's say that they're price matching with Aldi is almost doing Aldi and Lidl <laughs> um, or especially, you know, their own marketing work for them. Um, and saying it's it is an it is um an acknowledgement by those big supermarkets that Aldi um is in particular is cheaper, and so 
um, I think what will happen, I I really believe that shopping habits are going to change. I think that anyone who does a once a week shop or a big shop is likely to potentially split it up. Um, and whereas before, I think that we were seeing a um, so pre-COVID, I think we were seeing a trend where people were shopping locally. But I think that was like more of a buying stuff on the way home, you know, so doing mm-hmm. a reasonable shop. But then, you know, um, supplementing that with shops during the week, you know, where you're popping out in, at lunch in your lunch break to a, you know, a Tesco Metro or something, you know, and and um, and then, you know, those kinds of things. That's a time, you know, that's a cash rich time poor type behavior. Whereas now I kind of think that people will be looking at their shopping list and thinking, well, actually, I can get that lot and that's all good. And it's the same, um, you know, at Aldi or Lidl. And then I'll get the uh, this stuff from, from you know, Waitrose and this stuff from Tesco's. And I know that people are going to go, oh, yeah. I don't have any time, don't have any time. But if, you know, I we've we found in, in you know, so where I, where I live, I mean, I, you know, I'm married, got kids. We live in, a, you know, a reasonable part of the world. Um, but, you know, I don't live in a super expensive house. Don't drive flash car. We've got one car, which is a very bog standard, you know, family sort of small SUV. Nothing, nothing special. Right. But and we can cope with the the, the you know, the, the price with the, of the um, electricity bills. But it is a lot, you know. Right. I mean, we, I was talking about it with my wife yesterday and, you know, because we do have scintillating conversations and, um, you know, and uh, it, it's appreciably more. So I really yeah. think if you can save, let's say, let's say 30 quid per week on your food shop by splitting it up, I really think people are going to increasingly make the effort because um, by doing that, it might mean that they can have a warmer house or you know a warmer abode um and and all that kind of thing and and so i i don't know i think that what we're going to see is a maybe a fall in the average basket size per you know mm. when people go to a supermarket um because people will be splitting it up and the incumbents um will lose market continue to lose market share to uh, Aldi and Lidl and reverse the trend uh, or revert to the pre-coronavirus trend because, of course, during coronavirus, the big four, the UK big four supermarkets gained market share um, because they were able to provide delivery um, and on you know online grocery and delivery services, which of course Aldi and Lidl don't do, so uh, or you know didn't do at that point. Yeah, there is. I think there is a bit of a. They were running a bit long today. I just a quick note. I think there is a a bit of a psychology kind of marketing psychology, especially in store factor mm. to it as well. I just noticed about that about myself recently that when you go into a place like Lidl, you mm. don't necessarily. It's kind of like those typical marketing example of McDonald's, like stools being uncomfortable to sit in, so people yeah. don't stay there long. Little is kind of like that as well. It's not necessarily that kind of shopping experience that you would have, say, at Waitrose. Um, mm. I'm not advertising either one of them, but <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the kind of shopping experience where you would necessarily want to stay there beyond what is necessary in a utilitarian sa- sense. Mm. Mm. So I think that that essentially ends up in lower bills as well. 
because mm. what I've noticed about my own behavior and others around me is that if you go to a shop like that, you literally just get what you need on the list. If mm. you go to the store, even like Tesco, M&S, um, Waitrose, you kind of, your eyes wander around, you have a lot of ready stuff that's mm. interesting. So say so you have a couple of interesting spices, something like that, and the bill just grows. And mm. you often go out with much more stuff than you were planning mm. to buy. So I think yeah. that kind of psychological factor about stores like um, Aldi and Little is mm. also quite important. But also I think that there might start to be a balance between, because Little and Aldi, well, they don't, sorry, Aldi, they don't um, necessarily produce as many, say, ready meals and meals mm. that can be cooked in a couple of minutes in a microwave, which is mm. what a lot of people um, rely on. Um, mm. So I think that the balance that will, happen in people's minds the balancing act is how much their time is worth versus how much the food is worth whether yeah. buying it's a, a more expensive ready meal from say tesco mm. uh, would allow them to say work several jobs and work longer in their day or spend mm. a bit more time with their family for example mm. uh, versus especially for people who have to who have to find a second job for example who have to find a third job now during the uh, because of the um, general economic circumstances for mm. them, I think it would become that balance of whether a really fast meal that's a bit more expensive is worth essentially all that time that you would spend soon cooking. Because mm. cooking is not a very accessible, economically accessible activity for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and especially like, even if a recipe takes like 30, 30 minutes, that is still mm. half an hour. That is then washing up. <laughs> I'm going really into practical mm. detail. But it mm. takes at least, say, an hour to cook mm. a dinner. And mm. that hour, um, even on minimum wage, could be worth, say, I don't know, like eight, nine pounds, right? So mm. you would think whether, I don't know, a five-pound meal from Tesco. Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's <laughs> quite a lot, isn't it? I mean, if you're earning that and then you're spending it, most of it on, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still obviously, I you know. know, as you know, I mean, I, and, and well, actually, you, you are a more much more extreme cook than I am. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I definitely like, I'm, I'm about to, I mean, we're, this is now, uh, we're at lunchtime now, uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to knock up a pasta um, from, I made you know, one uh, for about I like guess, 15 yeah. minutes. Dead easy. Like, you know, pasta, yeah. tuna, tomatoes maybe a bit of spring onion in there, something, whatever, and just, um, yeah, a bit of olive oil, bosh, you know, 15 minutes, job done, you know. Um, so, yeah, I reckon. But anyway, um, <laughs> God, I'm, I'm talking about food now. I'm starting to feel hungry. So, uh, anyway, um, anyway, I think we better stop there because it is a very interesting subject, but I think we better stop for the, for the sake of the <laughs> listeners. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. have lunch. Okay, yes, indeed. Anyway, um, thank you very much indeed, Apollonia, as always. Um, it's always thank nice you. to have you on this. Um, and um, thank you very much for listeners for listening. I hope you haven't made you feel too hungry. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. So many thanks. Bye.